0: TV comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. Trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. Fantastic! So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic.
1: Gilbert Gottfried. This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. Our guest this week is a musician, singer, songwriter, record producer, occasional actor, theatrical composer, rack on tour, and a genuine rock and roll icon. He started out playing the accordion to please his mother, and just a few decades later, he was selling millions of records and albums and performing to sold-out arenas all over the world as both a solo artist and a founding member of the creative voice behind the wildly popular pop and rock band Styx. You know his distinct voice from hit songs like Lady, The Grand Illusion, Mr. Roboto, Babe, this is, the, this is the time, show me the way, don't let it end, the best of times, and come sail away, among others. He was also the band's most successful writer, composing seven of the band's eight Billboard Top Ten Singles as well as a solo top 10 single. His sense of showmanship and his grandiose theatrical style heavily influenced the group's sound in the 1970s. He's also released seven well-received solo live albums, including a Broadway standards album. As well as a theatrical performer, he toured in productions of Jesus Christ Superstar and composed an original stage musical based on the Hunchback of Notre Dame. But there's more. His recent YouTube videos made right in his living room and created to provide comfort to those Affected by the current pandemic Have garnered over a million views And generated thousands of responses And his brand new solo album 26 East Volume 1 Will be released on May 20th Please welcome to the show An artist of many interests and talent. And a man who says that growing up, he wanted to either play center field for the Chicago White Sox or be Jerry Lewis, the pride of Roseland, Illinois, Dennis DeYoung.
2: Oh, my God, Frank, give Gilbert a break. That that introduction was longer than my career. (laughs) Were some of those things true, Dennis? None of it. I didn't even know what you were talking about. By the way, I've got nothing to, I've got nothing to add to that. See you guys. good night. Cheesy. <laughs> Gilbert, I mean, I don't even know how you read all that stuff. Oh, it, it's torture. Thanks, thanks though. Oh, I know.
3: <laughs> Gilbert likes to say they double as an obituary.
2: You forgot to mention I'm kind to animals.
1: Oh, huh. I'll start all over and include
2: it. Yeah, please. Go from, go from Paradise Theater anywhere in there.
3: What about this Jerry Lewis business, Dennis? You you you're in the midst of a uh, of a fan, a lifelong fan and somebody who knew Jerry.
2: Uh yeah, I mean, I I was in an elevator uh Gilbert one day with my my little daughter and it was in it was at some hotel in in, uh, in LA, I just stepped there and he was there and he had a lozenge, I think at the time, but he <laughs> <maybe> did not. And, <laughs> and so he, he, turned to my, said, he turned to my daughter and said, how, oh, you're so beautiful. And I stood there and I never said a word because I thought to myself, that's Jerry Lewis,
1: shut up. I didn't know what to say to him because I wanted to be him. He He's, wow. he's so, like one of those people, when you'd see him in person, you go, no, he can't exist in real life. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's you didn't Gilbert, you didn't know this, but uh, this this song was originally
2: written uh, for one of his movies. Ready?
0: Lady ladies! <laughs> Jenny, ladies.
3: <laughs> Have you done that in concert,
2: Dennis? I have done, I don't know if I've ever done it on concert, but for many years I used it as a routine on radio shows because nobody, nobody expects me to be funny. They expect me to be, hi, I'm a rock star. I'm posing and very serious. But really the guys in sticks were the, the, the nuttiest guys ever. And uh, Jerry for me was like, um, you know this one, that's baby. Anyway, um, so I love Jerry Lewis. I just, you know, and I was always, till one day I, w- I was practicing falls. You know, all his fat <laughs> I, I hit my my rib cage so hard on the side of a building, I thought I broke a rib, I stopped doing that. But I wanted to be Jerry. He's just, a, you know, I don't know what he is like as a person, but there was no, no one ever ever like him, ever. He was I, one of a kind.
1: I was always lucky, because uh, I could use that famous line, well, he was always nice to me.
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was nice to my daughter, and so I didn't give him an, a, an opportunity to not be nice. What did you What did you listen to uh, uh,
3: growing? Oh, I know, I know the albums you bought, Dennis. But did you were you a movie guy as a kid? Because I know you're a movie guy now. You're a movie <clears throat> buff. We talked about Blazing Saddles. Did you go to the Paradise Theater in Chicago, or what was the other big show place, the Granada?
2: Paradise Theater was. Uh, the story behind it, as quickly as I walked in an art, into an art gallery, Merrill Chase in 1980. And there was a painting, a serograph actually, of the Paradise Theater by Robert Addison. And it said, Paradise, you know, closed indefinitely. And said, like, wow, that seems like a, a metaphor for America in 1980. We were going through big changes. So I bought it, took it home. But the actual Paradise Theater was torn down in 1958 when I was like 11 years old. I never saw it. I see. And uh, I, I just used the, the image as a metaphor. <clears throat> Did you go to
3: movies as a kid? I know you were a White Sox fan. I mean, no, I was try-
2: held in oh. Cap... I never went to the movies. I was held captive in my basement my, by my parents. And <laughs> <laughs> Frank, that I go to movies? Of course, I. I yeah. Um, the, the movie theater was the State Theater. The State. And we, the State Theater. And we used to go there and, you know, try to sit down and have some popcorn and then, you know, get our feet up off the floor when we left. They were stuck so bad. But yeah, I love movies. And, uh, you know, like every kid you dreamed... Well, well, someday uh, maybe I'll, I'll be an actor or something, and uh, but never happened. Well, it did eventually, but was know, the state uh, theater
3: the, the the John Dillinger
1: Theater?
2: No, that's the Biograph. The Biograph. Yeah, that's on that's on the north side, way far good, from where I lived. Good Chicago but, history. Know, I,
1: was he watching a Clark Gable movie? I Manhattan I, melodrama. That's what he was yeah, watching. That's, when he that's got, right. Yeah. That's
2: right. Very good. Wow.
1: Manhattan melodrama.
2: Myrna Loy, I don't know. <clears throat> I know some stuff. But at 73, Gilbert, I'm forgetting everything. Right now, all I have on is this hoodie and my cup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you never know when a ball could take a bad bounce in the <laughs> infield. <day. Yeah. laughs> go, now, going back to the—go ahead, Gilbert.
1: Go I, I found out something that really disappointed me. Uh, because I wanted to hear stories about groupies uh, making <laughs> plastic casts of your dick and stuff like that. And instead, yeah. well, to my horror, you've you been happily married for how many years?
2: 50. Jesus. 50. Uh, as Yeah, I know. Well, I met her in high school. She was 15 and I was 46. And no, <clears> that's <throat> ridiculous. I can't even <laughs> do that joke anymore. <laughs> uh, we met at, hey, hey, listen to this Gilbert, uh, on 2964, uh, I I was supposed to go to a Catholic high school dance and um, my best friend loved, he was into the Beatles already, meet the Beatles. I said, it sounds like hype, not interested. And so he made me stand in, in, in my parents' home and watch them at seven o'clock uh, before we went. And so I watched it. And, you know, my life was changed. I knew exactly at that moment what I wanted to do, uh, and, and that was being waste management. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I looked at them and I said, I was already a musician. I had formed the band in 1962, the nucleus of the band. The Panazzo brothers lived across the street. And I played accordion, you know. If you want to hear Lady <laughs> Spain. Uh I played accordion. And we were in a rock band, then I saw that uh, Gilbert Frank, I just said, that's it, I'm going to do that. And so two weeks later, I went to that Catholic high school dance, I met my wife. So in two weeks in 1964, my professional and my personal life was set, good thing I didn't know it. Wow, it it all happened. Yeah. And you and
3: Suzanne celebrated 50 years, what, in January?
2: We tried to, but I had food poisoning. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we were down in uh, we were down in Boca because I'm old enough now to, to go down there once in a while. <laughs> and we were there, and I and I had dinner reservations booked, and uh, I got I ate something bad, and and so we celebrated our fiftieth. Uh, not that great, but fifty years. Wow. Um, she's uh, look, she's she's a drunkard's dream if I ever did see one. You know, like up on Cripple Creek. <laughs> She defends me, I don't have to speak. You know, she's been supportive. Uh, you know, don't pick a fight. She's, she's Italian, like I'm half Italian. Unfortunately, it's the, it's the upper half. But so she's, um, she says to me, you know, she, her children and her family off limits, you know. So she's been with me the whole time. Uh, she loved me before I was uh, um, anything. Um, and, uh, and at the time I was actually a greaser. So that shows you her devotion. Wow. But, but we've been married, raised two kids, and they've traveled with us. Uh, Dara, are you there? I'm here. She's there. We raised two children from 1976 on the road. Three of us at first in a hotel room all the time. So this, this, this pandemic, child's play. <laughs> you guys got kids, don't you? Gilbert, you have kids? Uh, yeah, Two. Yeah, well, two of us were in the road for like three or four years. At the very end, all the time, and uh, you know, uh, it, it was a testimony to, to to the fact that I could run very fast out okay. there.
3: I, I think his first disappointment was that you didn't live a life of uh, rock and roll debauchery, Dennis, and his second one was that you're you're not able to actually play the accordion.
2: I can right. play the accordion. No, but I mean- if you come over if you come over here and lift it up for me, I can't lift anything yet. That's you? what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I can play it. No, listen to this. I I have a brand new video that 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 premiered today on YouTube. It's called "To the Good Old Days." It's a duet with Julian Lennon. Beautiful song. And at the very, it's all old home videos and you know the kind of stuff. The first time I saw it, I said, "This looks like a Ken Burns documentary for Christ's sake." But it's really very charming. And the very last scene is me singing on a floor, bare feet. <clears throat> Playing accordion because th- it ends with an accordion on the record, and it's everybody's favorite part. And the reason I'm sitting on the floor is because I couldn't lift it up. I dragged it on the carpet <laughs> and, <laughs> and put it on my things, and then I played it. And then I I put it off. And coincidentally, the one music I musical I've read I've read is written is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Anyway, so we're we're recording going?
3: we're recording this on May 11th.
2: No one's ever going to hear this, are they?
3: Yeah, no. Well oh, probably okay, <laughs> We're but recording this not. on May eleventh, so today is the day that, that you that the video dropped. It did. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, so so so, so by the time this is up, people can actually go find it. And it's very touching.
2: Yeah, I sent it to you.
3: Yeah, it was And good. Uh, I sent it on to Gilbert uh, and Vera. Yes. Yeah. It was very sweet. brought honestly, it brought, and I, honestly, just, it brought yeah. tears to my eyes.
1: And I well oh, oh, go ahead. I'm listening. I'm listening. No, I noticed uh an interesting similarity to you and the Beatles is like, cause the Beatles stopped touring and wanted to be creative and wanted to do more stuff in the studio.
2: Yeah. And they, and we were all, we all have penises. That's where, they, that's where the similarities end. <laughs> they listen, those guys are gods and they should be Gilbert. Lennon and McCartney were Adam and Eve from which all the rest of us bands were begat. That's just it. They really invented uh, the modern rock band, self-contained, writing songs, singing them, arranging them. The things they did in that <clears throat> that short period of time, for most of us musicians, it's unfathomable. You, you think about it and you go, if you take one of their albums, that's like the entire hits of the Sticks catalog. <laughs> that's how good they were. Uh were you a Beatle fan when you were? Oh, younger? absolutely. Okay, yeah.
3: You know, it yeah, was just a, us, yeah.
2: remarkable.
3: Yeah. What's interesting too is that a couple of times with, with some of the some of Six's concept albums, I mean, and I saw this in interviews with you, you were you were kind of chasing a Beatle thing. You I were try, you, there's at least three albums you were you were trying to to do your own take on Abbey Road.
2: I, I was, and um I failed miserably, but we still <laughs> had success. <laughs> I mean <laughs> You know, it was, um, th- those two, we made good records and, you know, uh, Gilbert, you're a very funny man and you're a great comedian. Thank you. But, you know, you had, you, you have your idols. You you looked at Jerry Lewis and say, well,
1: I'm Gilbert. I'm not Jerry. Isn't that how you feel? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you watch someone and you go, I, I want to be in the, you know, same profession as them. And I want to be connected with them, but yeah, I got to be my own person.
2: Yeah, and so, you know, for for, for me, I was trying to, I, the, the, our records didn't sound like Beatle Records. I was just trying to conceptualize the way it did. And as I directed the band myself, it was, what I learned from the Beatles was as long as you write a great song and make a good record, that's all you need to do. You don't have to fit in one mode, one genre. And they did everything. Because if you if you think about Beatlemania, as much as I loved it, if they'd have stayed there, they wouldn't have lasted the way they did. And so I remember the first time I uh, I got Rubber Soul and I put it on and it was so different. I thought, oh my God, what have they done? They've ruined everything. And then after the third listen, I realized it was, uh, it was goodbye Beatlemania, hello the future. That's, that, it was just, they were gonna do anything they wanted. And so when I was trying to direct my guys in my band I thought write a great song baby
1: people will come to hear great songs and that's all I tried to do And and the Beatles were like influenced by the Beach Boys There was always like that- uh, there's yeah competition yeah cuz they were yeah Brian
2: w- Brian Wilson yeah When they yeah.
1: heard Pet Sounds I think that influenced Sgt. Right. Pepper Yeah they it's became funny very competitive same thing happened to me when
2: I when I went to Pet Smart. I wrote I a bunch of songs.
3: <laughs> so so Beatlemania in '64 was a, was one impression, Dennis. But then when you heard Rubber Soul and Sgt. Pepper, and it blew your mind, you you realized that anything was possible.
2: Yeah, and we were crappy when those records came out. We weren't any good at all. We were still just kind of sh- shedding the skin of being a wedding band. And we were just getting into the rock and roll. And then 68, we got John Sterleski, one of the uh, original members of Styx. And then J.Y., James Young, came in 1970. And that's when we really started to come together as a real, uh, authentic rock and roll band. But, uh, but listen, if you heard, when you heard Sgt. Pepper, when I heard it, uh, I still remember where I was. Uh, and John, the drummer, and myself, we listened to it. And we went, oh, my God. Because what that record said was, musicians, anything is possible. Do whatever you know, whatever you want to do, and uh, it was it was a miracle. But I mean, unless unless Paul McCartney starts sending me some some residuals, I'm not going to talk about them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about that band,
3: the early band. First, the trade wins, and then what? You guys, you changed your name after that. You became what? TW Four. Yeah. What kind of band? band what kind of venues were you guys playing, Dennis? You were playing weddings, high school parties?
2: Mostly weddings in those days, you know. Yeah. Um Plenty bar mitzvahs? Yeah, yes, yes, Wait a minute. And I forgot it. I used to that <laughs> Oh, here's the one I know. I'm sorry, there, there weren't as many Jewish people in our community as you know. Play the tarantella.
3: That's
0: awesome. us. <laughs> so, so,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> so
2: Thank Sticks you, Mr. Sticks. Santo, Santo Padre. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so Styx was basically a cover band.
2: Yeah, in the in the worst possible sense. We're we're covering um, songs from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, we became a, a rock and roll cover band later. That's why we got signed because we were very, very popular in Chicago at imitating other bands. And then we started you know, trying to write our own music.
3: I like the part of your career where you say you guys played <clears throat> for Potato Salad.
2: First, um, the very first show we played, and it wasn't a show, three kids in a corner uh, at a wedding, a lot of hot, sweaty women in the kitchen. And uh, it, they gave us... You know, fried chicken and potato salad, they fed us, and that was it. It was a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It was my, my parents, my parents' friend's daughter got married, didn't have a lot of money, and so they said, Come on, kids, play. But it was it was the chance of a lifetime. And I saw wow. a picture. I'm going through all these pictures of me throughout my life with this video, and there's a picture of me, and I saw this picture. And I, I saw an expression on my face I rarely see. I looked at myself. I didn't recognize myself. Like, what the? It was abject fear. Wow. It was taking be- before we went to play, and I was thinking, oh, my God, can I do this? You know, try to entertain all these people. That's, Gilbert, did, you, did you perform for food in those days, Gil, at some point <laughs> oh, in the early oh, days?
1: Not not only didn't I get food, I, you didn't get money, and you didn't get food. <laughs> These, one one time, a waitress slipped me a potato, and and they yelled at her. She almost got fired. Yeah, you couldn't get food. You couldn't get a glass of soda. You had to pay for it.
2: Here's the odd thing, Gilbert. When you need stuff, no one will give it to you. Once you become famous, they, everybody wants
1: to give you things. Yeah, it's like the richer you become, the less you have to buy. I know. It's it's great. And I like that. <laughs> I, <I'm a> little...
2: <laughs> Just going through a little bit uh, of the group. Go ahead, Dennis. Honey, honey, <laughs> uh, honey, make, make sure we stay rich. I like getting shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Wooden
3: Nickel. And I did a little research into the record company, Wooden Nickel, the, the, the oh, late, God. the late. Jerry Weintraub was one of the partners, the legendary Jerry Weintraub in Wooden I Nickel. Met a... A scout uh, yeah. saw you guys playing, and
2: I met him. We met him once. He was in town for Led Zeppelin, <clears throat> and Elvis had been there. He, he was he was the manager of both. Well, he was the promoter, and and he was he was a character. We spent like about fifteen minutes with him, and I respected him. He was a smart guy. But the the record company itself, wouldn't Nickel. Think about that. That's a, <laughs> what, do we, do I have to define it after that? No,
3: ironically uh, named.
2: Yeah, they were, they
1: were imbeciles. And uh, tell us the story about how Lady became a big hit. Um, all right. Gilbert, I I, I wasn't a songwriter.
2: And most of the singing I, I had, what happened? Everybody remember right? Earthquake? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? What was that, Gilbert?
1: Yeah,
3: I have no idea. Your face lit up. Yes. (laughs) So Wooden Nickel scouted you guys and signed you to a record deal.
2: Okay, so uh, the, first, the first album, I didn't really have any songs that I had that written by myself or that I actually sang by myself that I had written. So I wrote this song for the end of the first album called Lady, I played it for the, uh, the producer, and he said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for the, the second album. So the second album comes out <clears throat> and I, um, uh, it's on there and it's released, it's a stiff, it's just all, nothing zip bupkis no nothing don't like you not don't don't care for your voice (laughs) your piano playing sucks (laughs) so so for the next two years i thought you know i was the reverse of sally fields i thought they hated me they really hated me i didn't understand that there was a business involved so two and a half years after it was released wls a very big powerful radio station in chicago we were going up there to promote our fourth album called man of the man of miracles me and my buddy, JY, were in there. We were going to just leave an album because they never saw people like us. They were too big. You know, we're, we were not important. We said, hi, we're Sticks. Can we leave this album? And he said, oh, come right to, this way. Jim Smith would like to talk to you. He's the program director, which means he decides what music's being played. We walk in and we said, we're in WLS. We're in this big room. So <clears throat> he comes out. We give him the album. He says, I'm not going to play anything from this. He says, but tonight at 8 o'clock, I'm going to play John on John Records' Landecker show. I'm going to play Lady once a night because I think it's a hit. He did that, Gilbert. If he didn't do that, you would have never heard of me and I would not be on this show today. So through my entire life, I knew the difference between success and failure was so um, ephemeral. You you just don't know how it's going to happen. And and he played it and that's what happened. It became a hit and then... We went on to record a bunch of uh, albums. It was great. A but to that point. to that time. So all you kids out there, I, I can tell you is, you just don't know. The only thing you can do, I've, I said this in the lyric of, of my, one of my songs was, winners are losers who got up and gave it one more try. If you don't keep getting up, Gilbert, you know this, because people are going to suck you in the, in the jaw because they they don't want to admit you're any good. They're going to tell you 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 stink until the minute something good happens for you then they're all going to say we knew it but they didn't know nothing so to be successful is really about perseverance isn't it gilbert oh
1: yeah absolutely because uh I, uh I i i've been on stage more time having people yell you stuck
3: <laughs> yeah uh, usually family yes.
1: <laughs> yeah
3: you know, there's a lot of stories like that, Dennis, in music history. That the and, and we've had guests on the show that have told stories like that, haven't we, Gil? Where one DJ fell in love with a song and was determined yes. to, to push that record. Right? Um, before I Lose My
2: Voice... So that was the first song I ever wrote and sang by myself on a record, and I wrote, it, um, I wrote it about my wife. So I've had a lot of luck writing songs about my relationship with my wife, and, uh, and she's only taken 70% off the back end. That's,
3: all. <laughs> That's generous of her. Yeah. Was that the first one you heard played on the radio? Was there a moment? We, we asked the musicians that have been on the show, Dennis, that, that moment well, where there it is.
2: I heard um, one of our first songs on the first album and played a little bit on a radio station that didn't matter. But you have to understand, WLS was the most powerful radio station in America. Located in the center of the country, 50,000 clear watt channel, broadcasted to, you know, from, uh, from Denver all the way to L- uh, Little Rock. So to get on that station, it was a miracle. So when he told me that, I went home, we're in this little house that we lived in, my wife and I. <clears throat> and 8 o'clock, we, there was a little radio on top of the refrigerator. We thought, this can't possibly happen. And it came on, and it was... I I just got the chills right now thinking about that moment. Uh, and nice. um, we, we danced in the kitchen right there. A little kitchen, not really an eat-in kitchen. And anytime something good happens, we have to run to a kitchen and dance. It's just like a tradition that we... You know, because it was like... Man, it was like, what was the first time you were on tonight's
1: show, Gilbert? What was that like? Uh, I was never on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. I, me neither. I was on with Jay Leno. Yeah, same with me. I, I did I yeah. did a lot with Jay Leno on there. They used to have me mainly for those sketches in the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not because, uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, look, Um, it's...
2: You know, look at guys like you and me, and and, and, and you too, Frank, uh, we get a dream, right? Whatever it is, <clears throat> and we're ambitious. Because I, I always think, this is crazy, you don't just get too deep, but I think people like us that work really hard and are driven and ambitious are trying to please somebody who can't be pleased. It's probably a mom or a dad we know who they are. If you wanna lay down on my couch, we'll do an hour. But the deal is for me, <laughs> I played accordion. I wanted to please my mom so bad. So when <clears throat> when, it, when the dream comes true, even even in the smallest sense, you know, you think, oh my God, it happened. I'm gonna feel different. I'm gonna feel better and special. And you know what? You don't, you feel the same. So what you have to do then is you pile on another dream because you keep setting goals for yourself. So, but the first time I saw a lady, I'll never, ever forget it. Uh, Saw lady, heard lady, I'll never, ever forget it. And to this day, if I'm driving someplace and one of my songs comes on the radio, I make myself sit in the car until it's over with because I'm afraid
1: it'll end if I don't. Oh, that's cool. I've heard so many stories about comedians and actors growing up, going out, seeing either a vaudeville show or a movie and then acting it out for their mother. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. You know, listen, when I, all that Jerry Lewis stuff,
2: I, I was, I, I just wanted attention. And I wa- I wanted the approval and love of, of a parent. That's what it is. And, and my mother, she loved me. And, but I was, you know, um, boy, this is getting deep. Anyway, <laughs> the thing about my mom, my mom was, she loved me dearly, but I, all her dreams were in my basket, if you know what I mean. I was everything to her. And I didn't want to disappoint her. Her parents were both deaf, so she grew up in a house where no one spoke. Oh. And uh, she, al- she always thought my singing ability was the universe giving back to the Rolla family, you know, so I could sing and play music. Isn't that
3: wild? It is. And How it, much of your yeah, success did she get to see, Dennis? Oh, plenty. No, Good. she
2: saw plenty, yeah. Good. Yeah. Then the, the guys in uh, the Panazzo brothers, uh, their dad died like the year before things broke, oh, which that's was. A shame. Uh, yeah, because, you know, <clears throat> we think we're doing it for ourselves, but f- come on, Frank, who is it, mom or dad? You want one of them to...
3: Well, trying to trying to make my mother laugh because she was depressed.
2: <laughs> there you go. Which we've
3: heard a lot on this show, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of comedians have come on and told us that they got into comedy because they were trying to cheer up or one parent or the yeah, other.
1: Gene Wilder uh, used to entertain his mother, Jan Murray, uh, a bunch yeah. of them you know, tons
2: yeah yeah of course you know um, it's a great motivator that's it is uh, listen uh, uh, everything you know my mom was a she was a hard task master but the truth of the matter is i wouldn't have what i have you know what i mean if you have perfect parents that are very encouraging and loving at all times and everything you do is good you'll never amount to nothing <laughs> <laughs> You know, a little a little context too for getting
3: that song on the radio, Dennis, is you your guys, your backs were to the wall. I mean, you'd had what, four albums at this point that weren't that weren't getting any traction?
2: That's it. We were out of record. That was it.
3: it. That it was, was it not it was not only a turning point, but one came came at the absolute right time.
2: Yes, and I was I was teaching school. I taught school for three years, and um then we got a record deal. So I here's what here's why I'm a little different, Gilbert, is because I had a wife and a baby girl before I had a record deal. So I had all this responsibility. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that my parents raised me good to, to take responsibility for the people around you. And uh, so the whole <clears throat> doing drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, it didn't interest me. It, it just didn't. I mean, you know, now, I'm, now I'm, everyone shut off the
1: radio. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, yeah, explain so plexi- you, didn't, you didn't use drugs or get laid? No. <laughs> this is I like, a guest like you to- can connect
3: to, Gilbert.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Quick, somebody get Ralph Edwards in here.
3: But, but before, before we get off those early albums, uh, Dennis, explain Plexiglass Toilet, which I know became a, a, fr- a favorite of Weird Al Yankovic.
2: Dr. Demento
3: and Dr. Demento um, and then Weird Al, yeah.
2: Well, the thing is, uh, it was JC John Serleski. He was the original one of the original guitar players and he just bought, he was he's wacky. guy was whack. He was whack the guy. And he said, "What do you think it is?" And uh, I said, "You know, we we're all jerks." So I said, "Okay, we'll do it." But when we put it on the album, uh, it's not listed. It's the inner cut without any listing. The secret and it cut, was just secret the laugh. track. Yeah. yeah, and then I, I don't. Even, I only play. I only did it one time in my whole life. It was in the studio, and we did it with a bunch of friends. Don't sit down on the plexiglass toilet, said the mama to her son. Wait, wipe the butt clean with the paper, make it nice for everyone, and don't sit down on the plexiglass toilet, yeah. <laughs>
1: I like Gilbert, knowing sticks Frank, recorded us. Yes. Frank and G- you guys toilet. gotta be, You, uh, no one has ever got me to do that.
2: <laughs> ever. <laughs> we now, take
1: pride. Now, another song we could thank your wife for is Babe. Yes. Uh the story goes like this.
2: Uh it was her birthday in 1979. Uh she supported me. I thought I'll write her a song, but is your is your wife listening? Gilbert? <laughs> She's right next I was, to me. Yeah, I was, just trying to get, I was just trying to get out of buying jewelry.
0: Anyway, uh, so,
2: <laughs> so I sat down and I wrote this song and I called up the Panazos. I said, you guys do a demo with me? I want to give this to her and play it, play it at a birthday party and nothing else. It was not for sticks. So <clears throat> they said, yeah. We go, uh, we do the demo. No guitar players are there, so we don't put any guitars on it. Um, and I sing all the background harmony parts. Nobody's going to hear it. It's not who gives a shit. Nobody's going to hear it. <clears throat> in fact, I wrote it. I wrote it on the grand piano. When we got in there. The grand piano was out of tune. So there was a Fender Rhodes in the corner and and Bobby Whiteside. I don't, I don't know who that is, but it was his. They rolled it out. I'd never played one. And I went, you know. Uh, I just started noodling and then rolling tape. So I did it. I, I gave it to my wife and everyone at the party went, oh my God, oh my God, that doesn't suck as much as we thought it would. <laughs> so uh, people started saying, we love this song, we love it. Uh, it was just for her, not for nobody. And um, the demo became the song you've heard on the radio for 40 years. Uh, I All those harmonies are me singing by myself. We were so afraid to change that record. All we did was Tommy Shaw came in and played a guitar solo that's the record. So that's why there's no guitars on it. Uh, otherwise if I'd have brought it to sticks, we'd have sat in the room and recorded it much differently. And so it was just dumb, you know, the best kind of luck, dumb, stupid. And that's what that was. So it was for, for her. And it went on, uh, to win the, the people's choice award for best song, which was pretty cool.
3: How, how, how different would it have been if it had been a stick song? Would it have been a
2: power ballad? Yeah. Yes. It would have been more guitar driven. And, um, you know, I, and it would cost more. i have to pay the guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. There we go. You ready?
0: If I'm leaving. I must be on my way.
2: headsets so off. Like, you know, you told me to wear these headsets, but I can't hear myself playing. And I'm just,
1: take them off. You can't hear nothing, you <laughs> I just
3: I We appreciate
1: that you did that. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. But listen, uh,
2: I, I, you, can, you, can, you can cut this part if you want. All right? Because I was thinking, Gilbert, whenever I think you, the first three words that pop into my mouth... You're never gonna guess. Oh, why? Wow. Catherine Zeta Jones.
0: Ah!
1: Oh! I am so flattered. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Here's the th- here's the thing about you, buddy. Um, sometimes comedians say things we're thinking, right? And and but you you say things nobody's thinking, and it's funny. <laughs> I go, where the hell did he get that?
3: (laughs) There you go, Gilbert. Did you see the documentary? Is that where you came up? You you saw that Catherine Zeta-Jones thing?
1: Who,
2: me? Yeah. No, I used to sneak in when he was over Catch a Rising Star. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) What is this? Frank, what now, Frank? I have to reveal my sources for <laughs> you.
3: Don't have to, you don't have to reveal your sources. Tell tell us about some of the acts you guys opened for and, and backed up in those days, because it was everybody, Stevie Wonder and Queen and the Doobies and Genesis and Frank Zappa. And, you you know, you like to say in those days that Styx was always the bridesmaid.
2: Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And... um. We played in front of all those bands. You know, we were there on, on the ZZ tour With on either side they had cherry pickers with um, Texas Longhorn on one side, you know, mm-hmm. and they had a buffalo on the other. <clears throat> the backstage area was a bit rank, but um, I think they came in and stopped that because they're not supposed to have those animals up there. Uh, we played with Aerosmith. We were at the famous Aerosmith show in Philadelphia <clears throat> where somebody threw an M80 on the stage. Right at Stephen Tyler, and boom, stopped the show. I was literally sitting in the in the in the seats behind, and I saw it. And I said, "Time to go, taxi!" Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's the story? What's the story about opening for
3: Stevie Wonder or backing Stevie Wonder, and you you decided to go out into the audience and do like Baptist minister shtick? <laughs>
0: oh, please
2: save me from myself. <laughs>
3: We can cut it if you don't want to tell it.
2: No, it's it's hysterical. First of all, we got booked with Stevie Wonder. That's the story in itself. What? A, and yeah. that time we were going through our glam period, where we had all these sparkly tops and bell bottoms and platform shoes, and you know, and, <clears throat> and the the audience was in at a, at a at a college in Illinois, and and the audience was like, well, we expectedly 80 percent, you know, African American, um, <clears throat> and I thought. Well, what are we doing up here? So we start playing this music that has nothing to do with the audience. And we're thinking, oh boy. So there's this one thing called Children of the Land. <laughs> and so we're, it's a rock and roll song. <clears throat> and back in the club days, I used to do kind of like, a, you know, a rabble-rousing, crowd-pleasing, like a thing. yeah, I'm the rockin' stockin' backroom, 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 all that kind of crap, right? To keep the drunks happy. And so suddenly I, I felt so desperate I run off the stage in the audience with the mic in my hand and I'm doing my rap to this, you know, this black audience. And soon as I was out there, I said, this is the biggest mistake of your career. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> now, that's a great one. I like the Zappa story too, how he was threatened by you guys, so we only gave you three mics.
2: I don't know if he was threatened. Here's what happened. It was that the Keele Auditorium in St. Louis, Frank was, you know, he was Frank. And um nobody told Frank there was an opening act. Oh dear. And so it was the, right around the same period, here come these uh these uh what's wrong with those guys that they think they're they're David Bowie? That's what we looked like. And we go up and for the sound check in Zappa's, he's furious. Where's the promoter? I'm gonna talk to him, you, you son of a bitches. There's no there is no opening act. My my All right. So he decided Keele Auditorium hosts ten thousand people, and he decided he was only give us give us three microphones. No amplifiers were no drums were amplified. Now, if you have no idea what that sounds like, well, often uh-huh. a good, a good <laughs> So we we played the whole show with th- basically you hear three singers in this <laughs> that would be the music, and then three guys singing, and so at the very end they were booing, and uh, and then. Like 14 months later, our album broke, Equinox, and we went down there and sold out the Kiel Auditorium ourselves. But, you know, these things happen once in a while.
1: And Frank wasn't, he wasn't really mad at us.
2: He was mad at the...
1: Uh, the. And, and I, I think see. you've said that rock and roll is dead now? Oh,
2: absolutely. It's been dead for, um, it's dead in this way. um, Not that there aren't people that still want to play it, <clears throat> young people who want to make it. Um, It's dead in that, the fundamental um, mechanism by which rock music was always delivered was through radio. And rock radio is, is disappeared. They don't play new music. They'll play people like Styx, classic rock. But they don't, they don't have new, new, new rock stations. There's almost none. Because pop is king right now. You know, <clears throat> you've got one person's cute and they go in and they produce them and they have 30 dancers. Nothing wrong with it. It's all entertainment. If people like it, I, who might as say don't like that? Life is short, as we know right now. Entertain yourselves if you like it, you like it. But rock and roll, as a a viable source, gone, dead. Talk to Gene Simmons. Get him on. He'll say. That, he'll tell you. You know, we were lucky. <clears throat> I lived at the greatest time in the history of mankind to be a musician. That period, that sweet spot. Never, never before, and I don't think ever after, where as as many musicians. Have the the opportunities that we had through that whole period to make uh, to have long and fruitful careers. I was lucky by birth. I was there when no internet, no distractions. You know, Gilbert. At that time, Frank, music was everything to you. You got the albums. You looked. You read. Absolutely. You were immersed. Liner notes. Yeah. If you could have got porn on the internet, boom, we're out of there. You don't care about. <laughs> <it>. <laughs>
3: It was a great time. It was also I, the time of top forty radio and DJs with personalities, and it was it was a golden age of radio as well as it was. as well as rock and roll.
1: The good it guys was. on at what, what station? Oh, WMCA. Yes, yes. Yeah. you knew each one. They were your friends. Yeah, now you guys are both from New York, right?
3: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we grew up yeah. with cousin Brucey and, uh, and oh uh, yeah. and those guys and sure, Harry Harrison and Ron Lundy and.
2: I think it's, I don't want to sound like three guys sitting on the beach in Miami, Miami, sitting on Miami Beach talking about our blood pressure, but really, (laughs) we were lucky. Um, Because if we start, if you anyway, kind of denigrate the music of today, then, you know, you sound like Dean Martin did the first time he saw the Rolling Stones. The change was coming. You weren't going to stop it. Same thing now. People like pop music. We can't stop them.
3: That's a rather ugly moment when when the Stones were on that Dean Martin thing and he, I know, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah, I know. And he was mocking them. But,
2: well, can you imagine Dean Martin and, and Mick Jagger? That just goes to show you the human voice, a person's voice, the way it sounds when they're singing, is so subjective, right? How can, how can millions of people like Mick Jagger and Dean Martin? That's odd.
3: Yeah, and I heard you talking about your favorite singers, and this, this, uh, this connects to something we've talked about a lot, Gilbert, I heard you talking about favorite singers and you said as much as you admired somebody like sinatra you don't want to hear sinatra attempting a, a rock song or, or or even a pop song because he, he he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't as suited for it and it, it brings to mind of course gilbert our favorite sinatra's cover of mrs robinson
1: yeah you cuckoo bird mrs <laughs> robinson That's what it
3: reminded me of when when you were talking about your favorite singers. You were talking about McCartney and Stevie Wonder
1: and Elvis. And when you'd see like, not even with music, like with when you'd see like Bob Hope do one of his specials and he dress up like a hippie in one part, and you go, "Oh, he don't don't do that." Yeah, it was quite authentic. (laughs)
3: Yeah, (laughs) artists driving out of their lanes. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, <clears throat> we're all trying to make a buck.
3: Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a good question from a listener for you, Dennis, from Ray Garton. Can Dennis tell us the one big negative thing about being a rock star that nobody warns you about in advance? Um, you know,
2: probably con- rec- uh, contracts. Contracts. Uh, be ca- yeah. Be careful what you sign when you're young. You know, you'll sign anything because you want the opportunity. And and those things always come back to cause havoc in your life. So that that's the most important thing. The rest of it, when I was a, a, you know in the heyday of all that stuff, it would be it's pretty tough to find any real negative except for the fact that um <clears throat> you had to constantly be in motion, uh and you had to be it's like being a comedian. You've, you 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 got to be when you walk out there, you know this, Gilbert. Nobody gives a shit if you don't feel good. They don't care what's going on. You're there, you know, to please an audience. And that, it starts out joyous. But after a while, you know, it's a job. It really is a job. So no, the dream is, any dream is is always better than the reality of the dream.
3: I think show business became a job for all of us a long time ago.
1: Yo, absolutely.
3: (laughs) I think it's it's
1: fair to say. Well, it's like... I love when people say to me, what do you do on times when you don't want to be funny and you don't want to tell? And I think, well, there, you know, if you work in a grocery store and you don't feel like working in the grocery store, you still have to go there. That's right. And we're lucky,
2: though. I mean, look what we're doing. Um, People assign far too much credibility uh, and love to us who do this thing um, they don't know us I wrote an album in 77 called the grand illusion which dealt with that same problem where I told the audience clearly <clears throat> don't be fooled by the radio TV magazines we create an illusion um, to divert people so they can be entertained and and and, and you know help them not be so at, like right now perfect example the universe is not they don't the universe doesn't care about us the universe doesn't it's about, you know, uh, repeat, wash, and replenish, change. And uh, <clears throat> we we don't want to think about that. And so they say, let's go see Gilbert tonight. He'll make us laugh. Let's go see Dennis tonight. He's going to sing us a song, and we'll feel better. That's what we do. And I used to think it was frivolous bullshit. But now that my audience is in their 60s, um, um, they'll tell me just how much what I did for a living made a difference in their life. And I think... How did that happen?
1: I was just trying to beat Aerosmith and Queen. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had people come up to me and say, you know, when my brother or my mother was dying, we would listen to our recordings of your comedy bits, and and it's like you go, oh my God, I I thought yeah. I'm you know, like doing meaningless shit,
3: you know. Someone's dying and they put on the aristocrats, Gilbert. Does that, yes, does that, yeah, exactly. does that blow your mind?
1: <laughs> oh, but God. yeah, they said how much it meant to them. Gilbert, do we know each other well
2: enough right now? Because I want to ask you a question. Okay. Dara.
3: <laughs> She's no, there. No. She never leaves his side.
2: Now, who could... Listen. Uh, this is a que- this is a question many people in the audience have dying, been dying to ask you. What is this, what is what does it sound like when Gilbert Gottfried whispers sweet nothings in your ear? <laughs> oh
1: lord.
3: Does he I don't think he has a whisper.
1: De- Dennis would would you like to uh, do an imitation of me whispering <laughs> sweet nothings? where are those blue pills? (laughs) Where are the blue
0: pills?
3: (laughs) That's hilarious. Gilbert, the last three guests have done impressions of you. I know.
1: I I like to turn everything over to me. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Dennis, talk about your, your sense. We put it in the intro. Your sense of the theatrical and your your desire to to uh, uh, create concept albums for Sticks. I mean, um, I mean, albums like "The Grand Illusion" and 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 Paradise yeah. Theater are idea driven.
0: Welcome to the Grand Illusion.
2: Come on in and see what's happening. Pay the price. Get your tickets for the show. That kind of stuff. Well, look, <clears throat> it's show business. Yeah, I think. Um, rock and roll is entertainment, and for me, I think um, early on, don't don't laugh. I, I really did like Dean Martin. I thought there was something about him. <clears throat> he oh, sang. We, we we love him. We wouldn't laugh. Yeah. He he made he always made you feel you were in on the joke, and it made you feel at ease. He de- he seemed to have a, a uh, the ability to not take himself seriously. And I always loved that. He was an, a real entertainer, and believe it or not, some of my nonsense I do on stage was a combination of um, Anthony Newley. I loved Anthony Newley as a kid. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. it. Kind of palsy, bye. Think about it. All this, right? And, but he had it down to, it, it, it felt right. And then along came guys, uh, when I was just beginning to become a lead singer, uh, Joe Cocker, the, the the incredible face maker himself um, and so you you kind of take all those little things and they become a persona. Now Freddie Mercury, for instance, has also been you know <clears throat> rightly categorized as very theatrical but I was doing that stuff in 72 and uh, the first queen album was in 73. Uh, I was doing it without the tights but um <clears throat> still you know it's the th- it's show. And I, what I did for Sticks many times, our lighting designer, who became Bruce Springsteen's LD and still is to this day after Sticks broke up, Jeff Rabbits, he he went to a, a theater school at Northwestern, and had a degree. And we, and he, he and I would talk about the theater, the scrims, the way the lights move, how to light things to make them look um, theatrical, not like um, Meet Me in St. Louis theatrical, uh, but you know just drama. <clears throat> and so we, we incorporated a lot of that, that stuff. And really, I have to say this. Alice Cooper, uh, we, we, we uh, went to see him. We were on the road, and I'd never seen him. It was 73, I don't know, 70. 70. And his show was, oh, my goodness. It was oh, you have the, the have the guillotine on stage thing. and the whole thing? Everything. Yeah. He had this, he had this giant white screen. And it was a movie projected on it. He was running like from way back here, forced perspective toward the front of the stage like he was coming at you. And what you couldn't tell was there were slits in the screen. So at the, as soon as he gets right up to the screen, he busts through the screen because it wasn't solid. And there he was on stage. I went, I love this guy. So <laughs> I love the theatrics. I love the theatrics. And, and you know, if you want to go see bands that stare at their shoes, there's plenty of them. But when you came to see Sticks. It was show business.
3: Absolutely. I love those albums for that reason.
1: And another thing, getting back to, um, you know, it, it always amazes me, like, like I'll be on stage uh, doing comedy and, or an actor doing a really dramatic scene or you belting out a song. How your mind could be like, uh, gee, I, I wonder what I'll have for uh, late night. Acker. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, uh, you go out there, and I,
2: people say, uh, "What's it like when you know twenty thousand people are applauding you?" I said, "They're not part of it. They're not. It's about me. I better do my job, and they'll do. Then they'll react properly if I've done my job." Um, so I go out there. The, the hardest thing, as you know, Gilbert, is is when you don't feel well. That's always, and it's and it's deadly for a singer. Um, that's the thing where you go and you feel, oh, man, you get the, f- the flop sweat. But most of the time, I've been on stage since I was 14. <clears throat> uh, it, it's like walking out. It's like walking into the next room, ain't it? You're just going yeah. there. You're just doing it. So, um, and you, you know, you, sometimes when my mind wanders like what you just said, right? I say, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that, you asshole.
1: <laughs> it it's so funny because after a while you find yourself going on autopilot. Yeah, but y- y- you know what the difference is. Listen, Gilbert, I've seen you. You go out there
2: autopilot for you is great because you've honed the skill to fake everybody out. You've got it down. You what like this? The, once you sincerity is the key, and once you can fake it, you're gonna be home free. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know i miss those days of rock and roll dennis uh, uh queen shows stick shows uh, you know something right. li- something like the kilroy was here album which which right. op- which opened up with the film and the perform and the and the performance i miss the uh the, yeah. the the rock even something like tommy i miss the i miss rock operas and the and all and the theatricality and the showmanship of that era of rock and roll i don't know if we'll see it again well you know truthfully Elton John to a certain
2: extent, too. These pop stars now, they have 30 people on stage. It's the most theatrical thing I have ever seen. I watch the Grammys, and there's like, who pays all these people? I can't even believe it. They're dancing here, and there's, you know, there's, there's sweatpants over there. I go, this is unbelievable. But <clears throat> as far as that goes... Um,
3: I, mean something, I mean something like a story. Where the con where a concept album and it's and it's and it's it's like a it's like a play, it's like a rock play or a rock opera. The kind of things you were trying to do with a Kilroy album. Yeah.
2: Okay, here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> oh no! Okay, Here's Mr. <laughs> yeah, look, um, yeah, I, I had a great interest um, in, in theatricality, not in being, you know, shuffling off the Buffalo kind of uh, musical theater, but combining rock and roll, <clears throat> the power of it, with the with the ability to tell a story and entertain an audience, and I was. And one of my heroes, Pete Townsend, uh, thrill of a lifetime. I went to the opening of Tommy in Chicago when he was there at the auditorium. And I I got a chance to meet him. I said, Pete, uh, I owe you money. I've been ripping you off for now 15 years. (laughs) 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 Well, think about it. (laughs) It Those guitars on Come Sail Away. That's Pete Townsend, I told the guitar players. I wrote that. He said, oh, I said, All right, I want Pete Townsend here. I did tell him that anyway. He said, I know, I know you, Dennis. I know your work. I thought you were very bold to try to do that Kilroy was here thing. He said th- those words to me.
0: Went,
2: <laughs> I was so, I was so happy. And, and I said, Tell JY and Tommy, they hate me. No, just kidding, they don't hate me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you know, look, um. It's entertainment.
3: The album sold a million copies. We should point out two, it, two million. Excuse me, but it, it wasn't. Yeah, but who's, it, it, but who's yeah. counting? It wasn't <laughs> who's not, What? Maybe a fewer albums, uh, a few, a, a couple of fewer albums than than, than Cornerstone or than uh, than Pieces of Eight. But it was a, it was a big success. Just to kind of dispel that myth, right?
2: I'd like to, yes.
1: And thank you for helping me, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do what I can. <laughs> Oh, yeah! When you were saying you were a fan of Dean Martin, it's so funny. Growing up, remember when uh, a performer with a drink in one hand and a cigarette in the other was the coolest thing on the planet. Right, my aunt, my aunt B
2: took that real serious though. With that, she always had a drink in one hand and um, a <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Your aunt B was underrated, by the way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it was Andy's aunt B, but not, nonetheless, I'd say that yeah. I, listen, there's still. I know back in the day, our day, it, the people would be swinging, you know, beer, Jack, for real on stage. They did that. I don't know how they did that stuff, and well, they're all dead now. But <clears throat> um, no, I love Bon Scott. You know Bon Scott. You know him, Frank. No. I took. Daddy
1: D's and the are done that cheap.
2: Daddy D's. Oh, ACDC. DC. Yeah, sure. Original singer. Sure. Well, he was he was nuttier than a fruitcake. I mean, the guy was great. He was such a great singer and such a fantastic showman. But he would he had a quart <clears> of <throat> of Jack Daniels. He'd just drink it on stage. I thought. How the hell does, how did they do that? I don't know.
3: I, I so couldn't do that. I'd you didn't indulge in rock and roll excess yourself, but you certainly witnessed it.
2: I couldn't. I was a pussy.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: interesting. You know, I I was worried about my voice all the time. And because I sing all this, you know, I sing a lot of songs all by myself with no band. No place to hide if you suck. Sure. So I, I was afraid of, uh, I never liked to smoke anyway, but I just didn't, and, and alcohol, man, it dries you out. It's tough. I don't know how Sinatra sang so long. It was unbelievable.
3: We, we had Jimmy Webb and Paul Williams on the show, and uh, this is interesting too, and I, I was discussing this with Gilbert, that you, you, you say two things. You say the melody is king, the song is king, uh, much more so than a lyric, but yeah. also that songwriters, you believe, are born great
2: songwriters. You know, yeah, I think so because uh, I know scores of great musicians who can't really write songs. And I know a lot of songwriters who are just average musicians. Irving Berlin, one of the great songwriters of all time, was just, he was just okay on piano. Uh, What makes a great songwriter is, um, it's still a mystery because songwriting is a mystery. Nobody knows, I say that I have a piano in in my living room that's got a bunch of great songs in it. I just have to sit behind it and whack at the keys until one falls out. But it's a very, very um, <clears throat> mysterious profession. Ask any songwriter; they, did, they don't even know where they come from when they yeah. do come.
3: Well, you've said that about Lady; you don't know where it came from.
2: No, I, I, I think back. What was I thinking? What made me do that? And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea.
3: None. It's fascinating. Gilbert, are great comedians born, or or uh, or can they be? Uh, can it be learned?
1: Oh well, I don't believe in comedy classes no
3: not not classes per se but is it is is it something that can be acquired over time or is it is it innate i
1: i i think i guess there has to be some part of it that's innate because some people you know it's like anything it's like singing dancing you could become acceptable at it you know if, if you practice singing enough you could become a passable singer I think Gilbert's right, the particular
2: with comedy, um I think, like in Gilbert's brain, there are there there are synapses and connections that everybody doesn't have um and they just automatically see the world, everything that happens, they see the world in terms of comedy of what's the joke, what's the punchline i I know a lot of people they don't see it that way. I'm one of those people who's not a comedian, certainly. People think I'm funny. I'm funny because I can sing. Uh, But the truth is, to be funny all the time, I think your
1: brain works that way, Gilbert. I think you you didn't learn it. You were born with it.
3: Interesting. Interesting theory.
1: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor.
3: Quick question from Dave Johnston. What does... Dennis, think of the South Park, Eric Cartman's version of Come Sail Away.
2: <laughs>
0: you guys!
2: Um, here you go, buddy. You got it all wrong. He's got it all wrong. So uh, I don't know what South Park is. Never heard of it. And I get a, a call. And um, oh, my God, I'm doing a 73-year-old thing in my brain. It's, <laughs> what, what are the two guys' names? Trey Parker and, and- Matt Stone. Matt, Matt Stone. Sorry, Matt. What do you expect? So I get a call from Matt Stone and he says, um, we'd like to do, uh, come sail away. And I said, uh, are you not going to do a Barbra Streisand enemy? are you? And I you know, he said, no, no, no. We're, we're fans. He said, when I was in eighth grade, first, first year of high school, he had a radio show called the Paradise Theater. He was a fan. I said, go ahead, have fun. Smartest thing I ever did in my life. Because, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, watch this. They were the hippest of the hip, right? Oh, sure. They did come sail away. And the minute they did that, the doors flew open and I would get request after request. We want to use one of your songs in this movie, in this commercial, we want to do it over here. When these people are in the corner singing, begging for money. We want to do it there, we don't care. So, um, I, I've had the most lucrative career because I said yes to South Park. So, some people have thought, Was that an insult? No, cart man. The point is, he's here's the song, he starts singing it, he can't stop till the end. That means it's memorable, it's catchy. Yep. And so, people have misconstrued that. And to man and, and, and Trey, I say, Thanks, buddies. Man, my kids, I should have them write you a letter. Because you brought a lot of money into the family. That's
3: fun. I like. I think. Uh, I think Lady turns up in an episode of The Office as well. A karaoke, a karaoke
2: version. All over the place, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, what do you call it? Will Ferrell screams it. it, it he's drunk in, in a wedding band. Yeah, it's been used. Yeah, it's been used so many. Simpsons. Yeah, you know, and, and, and Adam things. Sandler. Adam Sandler movies. Oh yeah, Adam's yeah. a great guy. Uh, he's a real fan. What? I can't hear. You got these ear flugs on. <laughs> That's my wife yelling in the other room. You know.
3: What, oh, she's yelling. Other she's yelling other uh, other shows and movies that have used your song.
2: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah but you guys got me wearing these ear muffs. I can't hear anything.
3: Tell tell, him, tell, tell us tell us about getting Julian Lennon on the new album because you didn't you didn't know him. You no. just, you just, you wanted, you, you, you wanted to, uh, you wanted some kind of connection to the Beatles who had inspired you so many years ago.
2: Yeah. So I wrote a song for him and I to sing. Um, and I did a demo right at this piano. I just wrote it. I thought, what would it be like if Jules and I sang and I wrote it and I just sent him the demo. <clears throat> I thought I'll never hear from this guy. And, uh, I get a message. I'd be honored. My God! What about that? So yeah, so I went to New York and um, we recorded it at Brooklyn Sound, and I came back and I finished the record. And <clears throat> I can't, you know, Gilbert, it'd be it, it'd be like uh, Jerry Lewis decided he wanted to do what do a comedy bit with you. Oh, it's not the same thing. I mean, listen, Julian is the, he's the greatest, but you know what I'm saying? You yeah, don't expect I've, this, to yeah, have yeah. You don't expect it. Don't you still think you're, uh, you're 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 somewhere underneath everything? You're just you're not worthy of people's attention somehow. You you always fight that idea that you're. St- I'm still a uh, an Italian kid with an accordion in a dream. People come and say, "Dennis, you're the greatest," and I say, "I can only feel like I'm that kid with the accordion saying, please love me.' I don't I don't get it, but you know.
1: Anyway, I I always feel like uh, show business is a party I snuck into. And any minute, someone's going to go over with a clipboard and say, your name's not on our guest list. Yeah. Get out of here. What are you doing in here? Right? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's
2: it. I can't shake that. And maybe that's, I think it's good. If you, if you still have <clears throat> a desire to be the best you can be and you still
1: have some self-doubt, because that, that's, that's what makes you good. And, well, we had Bruce Stern on the show. And Bruce Stern, I mean, he's you know a billion movies. He's been acting, God knows how long, and he said that every time he gives a performance, his his goal is to be a better actor. And you figure, how much better can you get? Yeah,
3: that kind of thing comes up a lot. It's just workmanlike artists. are still they're still doing it. They're still playing their uh, their trade and trying to get good. They got him. 150 movies later, he's trying to get good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and I, I, you, sent me the, uh, you sent me the video. Gilbert and Dara saw it as well, too. I, I thought the song was so sweet to the good old days, and it, t- it reminded me, what was interesting about it, is it reminded me a little bit thematically and emotionally of, of, uh, of In My Life um, from Rubber Soul.
2: What I was thinking when I wrote it was, <clears throat> how do I... Pay tribute to these giants, without you know seeming like some leech. I had to be very careful. I could have produced the record so beatily, because I had I had Jules's voice there. For God's sake, he sounds like his dad. But I avoided all that. I just said, you don't do that. You go with the song. It's kind of a combination between "In My Life," "Let It Be," uh, "Day in the Life." You know that low piano stuff. Uh, but I didn't go hog wild on it because I wanted it to be a song for Jules and I. We well, he was, oh, listen to that, for goodness sake. He's being his dad and, and, and Dennis is just a poo-poo face. So... <laughs> <laughs> but that's my family. It wasn't supposed to be that video. Uh, it was supposed to be Jules and I were going to sing it um, and slightly conceptual. Then the... Um, the pandemic hit. He ended up in in Europe. I ended up here. So I, you know, I tore tore my house apart, looking for old uh, home movies and and, and photos, because um, <clears throat> I had to do something. Yeah, and it, it was. was... The, the, the...
3: I think it works. It's very touching.
2: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but how how am I not going to love it? Those are those are all people I loved in there. I got to put my friends and family, and the original three guys that formed sticks. They're in there. You know, it, it makes me very emotional. And people are responding the same way. It makes them emotional. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I, if I make people cry and they spend money, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, and the song that opens the album could not be any more different. The, with all due respect, is a, is a, 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 rather, a rather angry
2: song. You've got to play that for Gilbert. That's for him.
3: I'm going to play that for Gilbert.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Gilbert, if you heard that, you'd you jump right through the screen and give me a big kiss. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm gonna send him what you sent me, and the album drops on May 22nd. It does, or May? I'm sorry, May 20th. Is it May 20th no, or no May 22nd? Tw- tw- May May 20th. Tw- tw- May 20th.
2: No, try again.
3: 22nd. 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 So okay, we'll fix that in the opening. Uh, and people have to find the video and tell us about what you did recently, Dennis. Tell us about the YouTube videos. the, the first one that you just made is a lark, playing the best of times right in the right in your living room, and the reaction that you got that knocked you over. People were saying that you that you didn't
2: expect. My my fan base, both of them, <clears throat> were writing in and saying you've got to do one of these um, these home home needy celebrity videos, and I thought, do I? And then they they reminded me of the the lyrical content of um, Best of Times where I sang, when people lock their doors and hide inside, rumor has it, it's the end of paradise. Okay. I went, put the iPad right up here, out of tune piano, can't get it tuned. And I sang Best of Times, gave it to a friend because I don't know how to put it on YouTube. He stuck it on YouTube. Uh, In the next couple of days, it will have a million views, you know, in like three and a half, four weeks. I am not Lady Gaga. I don't get a million views like that. Uh it happened and it just opened, you know, uh, everyone's calling me. There's extra wants to talk to me. It's, you know, Access TV, boom, Rachel Ray, every, you know, all these people are calling <clears throat> because I I just did that little thing. And the comments, I wish everyone in the world could read the comments, like 7,000 of them. I think I've read almost all of them. It they are the, the kindest, the sweetest, most loving comments that when I read them, I don't know who in God's name they're talking about. I see my name in there, but they have now uh, attributed things to me that that's, it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, but I wish everyone could just take their name and stick it where those people said those things about me. And I don't have that kind of fans. This is not false. I don't have a million people at my beck and call, <clears throat> but they went there and they did that, and, and I still don't know how that happened. Um, it, but it happened then i did another one and a hundred thousand people in a week it doesn't make sense because if i tour all year all year right i'm lucky to play in front of 75 85 90,000 people and and it's it, <laughs> you explain it to me but it's crazy but i i just have to say thank you to everybody that 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 did that for me yeah. i I'll, i'm gonna work on trying to feel worthy
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's great the first when i saw it we hadn't booked you yet uh, we want to thank our pal Gino Salamone too for for help for helping to uh, to get Dennis on the show. Gilbert, is he it
2: Sicilian? I... <laughs> is he? You know, Sicilian? I think he is. Are you?
3: <laughs> my mother was my mother was Lamano the hand, and she was Sicilian. Oh. She is Sicilian. She's ninety
2: three. Oh yeah, yeah. You know how to make a Sicilian omelet? Tell me. Steal the eggs anyway. <laughs>
3: Well, my father always thought he was slumming—that he was marrying down by marrying a Sicilian woman. But, <laughs> sure. but when, ah. before we booked you, we, we saw you. We saw you doing uh, Best of Times on on, uh, right. on YouTube, and I yeah. just thought, how the hell is this guy in such great voice? You just sounded uh, like you did yeah. 25 years ago.
2: I don't know. Don't ask me that. The people ask me that. and I say, they keep asking me. I, I don't know. I took care of it, you know. But really, it's dumb stupid luck to some point. That's just it.
3: It's also, and I know this, go ahead. Go, go, no, I was going to say, I know this is a delicate uh, uh, thing, but I, I, I don't know how Styx isn't in the Rock Hall of Fame. Me I neither. Mean, I mean Journey and Kiss and, and Rush, and I mean you guys you know, certainly belong in that company and, and rise above some of that company, in my opinion, and I don't, I just, I don't understand it. Dara's nodding in the background. Styx, Styx is an influential act.
2: Dara, do they allow cursing on this program?
3: Please. Absolutely.
2: I just want, I'd like to, I'd like to quote Max Bialystok. Who do I got to fuck around in this town to get? Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It'll happen, Dennis. I believe it will happen.
1: So how, how are you and Sticks getting along nowadays? We haven't spoken in 21 years. There's only two guys in the band, really. So
2: there's three of us. When they replaced me when I was sick in 1999, uh, there was just the three of us left. Now, the bass player, Chuck, oddly, on this day that you asked me this, Gilbert, I have all these old photos of the original band. So sweet. Three little kids with their tuxedos and bow ties looking like, like complete assholes, smiling. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, I, I reached out to Chuck, the bass player, and said, "Chuck, I got these photos. I'd really like to use these from our, from our, from our youth." And he told me he wrote back about a month ago. He said, "Absolutely, Dennis. Go ahead. We hadn't talked in twenty years." And so uh, I sent him the video this morning, and uh, he wrote me. Said he said, it, it, "It's it's just so beautiful. Thank you. Love, Chuck and John. We loved each other. We were like brothers. And uh, things happen sometimes, crazy things, but the three of us were." We were thick as thieves. And so um, I haven't talked to the, uh, uh, J-O-R or Tommy, in quite a long time. But look, <clears throat> I love those guys. I'm not mad at them. And there should be one more tour, one more reunion tour I've been staying in for about five years. Should be. For the fans, for the fans. I don't need the money. Kids, I'm telling you the truth. No, there's nobody gonna be standing, you know, at the stoplight trying to sell you a sucker in my behalf. That's not gonna happen. Um, but I just wanna do it one more time say thanks to the fans, wave goodbye, and exit. That's what I want to do. But uh, so far, uh, uh, no no soap. But nonetheless, you know, I made an album. I have a career. You know, uh, I'm a lucky guy just to have what I have.
3: That's nice. I hope that reunion uh, comes on stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: Well, I'm gonna be the first, uh, first one to let you guys in on this. I just got a call a few minutes ago. There's gonna be a reunion. Paul, Ringo and myself. Were
3: going- <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of the Beatles, this is just a little fun trivia note. 50 years ago today, The Long and Winding Road was released, the la- the final Beatles single.
2: It was the inspiration to a song I wrote on Cornerstone called First Time, mm-hmm. and I think I told you the story real quick. There's yeah. a, there's a Strings come in, you know, the cha-cha, the, the, cha-cha. Uh, I love the song. And, and so I wrote first time, and I put that same kind of string thing in first time. And then I find out three years later, Paul McCartney hated those strings. Phil Spector put them in there, and he didn't know he did it. So here I'm imitating Paul McCartney, and he hates it. Can you imagine <laughs>
3: Didn't you? Were you, weren't you doing a little bit of McCartney at the end of Babe?
2: Or am I crazy?
1: Woo woo woo, Babe. That's the <laughs> yeah. Okay, um,
2: okay, of course.
1: <laughs> what do you think? Now, now, here's yep. something I like to put every singer songwriter on the spot. Uh, can you remember, like, a song that was the worst song you ever wrote that you're embarrassed by? Oh, several. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, F, He's a
2: sport. F, Gilbert, after Lady was a hit, wasn't a hit, because that album had five songs. There were seven songs. I wrote five of them, and it was rejected <clears throat> heartily. I thought they don't like me, so I tried to be somebody else. So the next album, I wrote a song about a pirate. Then I wrote a song called "The Grove of Eglantine. I th- listen to this. This is how stupid people are. I'm talking about me. <laughs> <coughs> My friend Dave, I think he, he had Penthouse magazine um, and the Penthouse Forum, right? And he, I thought I read in there that in Victorian England, the, to, the reference to a woman's privates was the, the Grove at Eglantine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Stop the music. I wrote a song called The Grove at Eglantine. (laughs) And it sounds like it's about one thing. I say, in the Grove of Eglantine, just south of man's delight. I like boobs. So sue me. So just south of man's delight is straight down. You got it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Could you sing some of that for us? (laughs) It's been too
2: long. Hey, you there. Remember, I never played <laughs>
3: <life>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's plug this album, Dennis. 26 East, Volume 1. and the title, It's a good one. The title has to do with what?
2: It was the address of my parents' home where the band was founded in my basement in 1962. Wow. That's it. And there's three, three locomotives on the cover on the way to the stars, and it's representative of the three guys, the three mooks who founded the band.
3: I hope there's a, uh, I do hope there's a reunion, and so do millions of other people.
2: Hey, guys, listen, God, Gilbert and Frank, you guys are the, you know, I do these, these interviews all the time. It's been a blast to be with you guys, honestly, guy. Usually I'm like this, oh, God, someone stabbed me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we have genuine love and affection for the people we invite on here, Dennis, so thank you for doing it.
2: I appreciate it.
3: And uh, because you're the world's biggest Blazing Saddles fan, which I told the co-writers Andrew Bergman and Norman Steinberg, and they're very flattered, do you think you could take us out with a little bit of the French mistake?
2: <laughs> oh, God. Throw out your hands, hands on your hips, pat on How are you? Yes, that's all I, I had it memorized. I did push and throw out your About five tush. years ago. Give him a yeah, push. Your, uh, yeah, I, I had it memorized five years ago. I did it on stage. Uh, it was a rock audience, and I did it, right? <laughs> and the people had an expression on their face that said, I want my money back. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I told you, Gilbert, the man brought Slim Pickens on stage. Yes. Flew him to Buffalo.
2: Yeah, we we hired Slim and... Uh, oh, Bert and Gilliam. Mr. Tiger. Yeah, Bert yeah. and Gil- Bert Gilliam. Yeah, Bert. And they came out. It was the last show of our Paradise Theater tour. It was a Blazing Saddles party. And we had long table set up for the whole crew, and everybody had their cowboy hats and their red kerchief, and we had beans for dinner. <laughs> 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 and we, and we, we got to sit and shoot the shit for, with Slim for, for about two, three hours. It was glorious. And at the end of the show, I brought Slim out, and he came out and he talked to the audience. It was unbelievable. Here he is in front of about 15,000 people I don't know if the kids even knew who the hell he was, but uh, That's great. he was—he was the best. We, we just had just such a ball, and I love Mel Brooks. I love Mel Brooks. I don't know who wasn't.
3: We love him. I don't know what stranger Gilbert, uh, uh, Slim Pickens on stage with Sticks, or knowing yeah. or knowing Why didn't somebody tell me my? Why didn't somebody tell me my ass was this big? Anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Or or
3: knowing that Sticks was partly inspired by Anthony Newley. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I wish Tony was alive. I wish Tony was alive to hear that. What kind of fool am I?
3: (laughs) Dennis, you're a blast and a lot of fun. And the album is 26 East. Volume one. We can't wait for volume two. Please keep writing songs. Don't retire. Thank you, guys. And keep doing keep doing those YouTube videos, won't you, please? I will do that. And we will send you the feedback to this one as well, which we know will be wonderful. So we want to thank Gino again. We want to thank Suzanne for her, uh, her help and her shouting off camera and her iPhone. And our, and our pal John Murray, who uh, makes the trains run on time.
1: Well, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to the one rock and roll star who never got laid. Never <laughs> even, he never even got a hand job. <laughs> De- Dennis the Young. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. This has been a blast. This is this
1: is Dennis the De Young saying if I talk like this for 5 seconds more I'll never sing again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so hard to say goodbye so I promise not to cry but any tears that might be shed are only tears of joy. And I thank my lucky stars That we've come so very far Rising up against the odds To where we are today Though there may be sadness Let's all raise a glass Cheers to us safe again, again so safe again in all our innocence when we So my friends, I'll say goodbye, for time has claimed its
2: prize, but the music never dies. Just listen and close your
0: eyes,
3: and welcome
0: to Perot.